There's a particular statement that people would often make. By the way, children have gone, hey? They're good. Um, there's a particular statement that people would often make, and then, then there's a certain assumption that people have when that statement is made. And the statement is the following. We're praying that the people would respond to the gospel. When I say that, and, and when that is said in a particular environment, for those of you that have been followers of Christ, you know that that would immediately um, refer to the fact that we would like for people to surrender their lives to the Lord through a gospel call. The hope is through a statement that, like that that unbelievers would, would respond by approaching and hopefully crossing this line of faith. A statement of love for people to respond to the gospel. But we've been talking about the gospel for a number of weeks already out of our study of Colossians. And we've noticed that responding to the gospel is more than just saying yes to Jesus for the first time. So when we say we'd love for people to respond to the gospel, we also mean the following. That we as followers who have initially said yes to him would respond by freshly believing and applying the gospel to specific and current aspects of our lives. So there's the once of, but there's the continuous response, daily response to the gospel. And, and this is what, when we say that statement or make that statement, that we would love for people to respond to the gospel, we're saying it's for, it's for those who need to do it for the first time, and those people that would need to continue to do it for the rest of their lives. And if we, again, we start off with our portion from Colossians chapter 1. I want to just read to you this again. And by the way, Paul, in many of his letters, he does the following. He says, I repeat things. And he doesn't make excuses for doing that. In repeating things because he wants us to catch it. How many of you know that there are certain things that ought to be repeated in our lives? How many of you know that there are certain things that ought to be repeated in our lives? How many of you know that there are certain things that ought to be repeated in our lives before we catch it? Uh -huh. How many of you know that there ought to be things repeated in our lives before we catch it? More hands? You're going to ask raising hands because you're like, oh, please stop saying that sentence. <laughs> This is the real thing. How many of you as, as parents know that you ought to repeat things to your children for them to start catching it? Uh-huh. And you were all like that too, by the way. Your parents had to repeat things to you so that you would catch what you needed to learn. And by the way, one of the reasons why we bring Bibles to the meeting and not just our tablets and our phones is that during a time like this, you can use your Bible too kind of keep you cool. You try to do that with your phone, it's going to hit your ears and it's going to bruise it. And So just practical things why we use the Bible. Mm -hmm. All right, that was just for free. So Colossians chapter 1, we're exploring, and I really mean that we're exploring the gospel. We cannot fully fathom the, the depths and the breadth and the width and the height of it, because there's so much for us to, to, um, to consider in that and to find. But in Colossians chapter 1, I'm repeating it again, verse 3, Paul's writing, he says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. 
since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. And then he says this, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God. Just a few things that I want to remind you of that Paul's very clearly saying this about the gospel that it has come to you. The gospel, the beautiful message of who Jesus is, and we'll, come, we'll touch on that quickly a little bit later. But the gospel came to you. How did it come to you? And as I try to find water, how, did, how do you think the gospel came to, could, came to the Colossians? Anyone? Just shout out. Someone? Someone brought it. Sorry? There was something shouted, yeah. In a letter, oh, do you think that somebody in bringing it spoke about it? It's fine to say yes or no or whatever. The point is this, let me help you. In bringing the gospel to the church or the people in Colossae, someone, it seemed like a man called Epaphras, started sharing about the gospel with the people. So someone brought the gospel to others. And by the way, catch hold of that. Because it still remains our responsibility as believers to take the gospel to someone who has never heard the gospel, who is resisting the gospel, who is ignoring the gospel. You believe that with me? And it's our task as believers to carry forth that. Because here we have testimony that someone brought the gospel to them. The second thing that we notice in those few verses is the gospel was heard and understood by them for the first time. That's what Paul says to them. And then he carries on. He says the gospel, is ought, to be, the gospel ought to be bearing fruit and increase among you so that people can start applying. So what I want to just show you quickly from that portion, just the gospel, how it should impact our lives. That there are two things about the gospel. First of all, there's a gospel moment, and then there's a gospel process. So Paul is saying that there was a moment where the gospel came to you, church and policy, and as you heard the gospel, it transitioned into a process. The gospel increased among you. It grew. It didn't just stay at a moment. Something happened as a result of you initially giving your heart to the Lord. You see that? He says that very clearly. Next one. We'll iterate that. We'll confirm it. It says in both in, in verse 6, it says, The day you first heard the gospel became a moment. And then the gospel is bearing fruit and growing in your life. It became a process. How many of you can testify that there was a moment in your life that the gospel was heard, you understood, and you, you responded to it? Uh-huh. Very good. And by the way, in this church, if, we, if you are part of our gatherings and our moments and you say, well, I don't actually know whether the gospel has really become a moment in my life yet, talk to us. Let's help one another. And that simply means let's help you to understand who Jesus is. So here Paul is saying there's a moment, and then there's a process. And all of us, if you have gone through the moment, you ought to be part of the 
process where the gospel is bearing fruit and growing in your life. That's what we're trying to encourage one another towards and saying, guys, we cannot just stay at the moment. Praise the Lord for the moment. Last week, we, we expressed it by saying it's good to start, but it's not how you start that matters in life. It's how you finish. And so yeah, Paul is encouraging us towards that. The next thing about the gospel is that it's a door, but it's also a path. That it is the entry point into a relationship with God. We start it through that moment of saying yes to Jesus. And for some people, that moment is not just that day, that month, that year. That moment perhaps was a few moments. In my life, it was a few moments where I saw the gospel uh, real in people's lives. And I, through that process, I said yes to him. And so Paul is encouraging us to understand that, and this is our assumption, that it's not just a door, but it is also a path. The next thing about the gospel is that it's a new life, and then it's also a new lifestyle. And so the moment we have the moment, or the, 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 the yes to Jesus, it became a new life that I've entered. And we're like, yeah, God, I thank you for new, new life that I've found in Jesus. But as the gospel increases in my life, it helps me towards a new lifestyle. And it's not because people expect of me. It's just that I see the gospel, and I see who Jesus is, and I want to respond more to Jesus, and therefore my lifestyle changes. We as a church can never put this demand on you and say, this is how you ought to look like and fit into this box. This is how we accept you if you can fit into the square and look like this. Now, the gospel shapes us. The gospel, as we allow it to process our lives, puts us into the shape called Jesus Christ. And we start forming our lives more to His image. That's what the gospel does. The next thing that the gospel does, it saves us. And then it sanctifies us. Just simple ways for us to help one another understand the beauty of the gospel. That when we say we want people to respond to the gospel, it's not just a, a call to salvation. But it's also a call to sanctification. Big word. See, it really just means that it, it, it helps us to become holy like He wants us to be holy like Him. And so when we say yes to the gospel, we say yes to salvation, but we also say yes to sanctification. You with me? Okay, the, a yes, even if it's a slow or a quiet one, it will be greatly appreciated. Any yeses? Thank you very much. The next thing that the gospel does, it frees us from sin's penalty. What is sin's penalty? Eternal separation from God. That's what the gospel does. When we say yes to Jesus, we are free from the penalty that if I die one day, I will not go to hell, but I'll go to heaven. And I'll be with my Father eternally. And by the way, if you think that there is no hell, please wake up. There is the reality of hell. And if Jesus is not Lord of your life and you die today, you'll go to hell. And we've got to preach that message. 
in this world where everything is just allowed and everything is permissible and there are no consequences. Everybody's saying, well, I can do whatever I want to do and just one day when I die, I'll just disappear like a blob and I will just discontinue forever. It's not true, my friend. Hell is real as much as heaven is real. And so what the gospel does, it introduces us to a life where we are free from sin's penalty, that if we die, that penalty does not sit on us. But we are able to say, yes, if I die, I'll go to heaven. What it also does in this process, it enables us to be free from sin's power. There's a penalty. There's the power of sin. And as we allow the gospel to form us, the power of sin becomes less on us because we choose Christ above all. And we say yes to Him. The power of sin is still around. It's still there. We can say yes to it every moment or every, any minute. There's this possibility of us saying yes to sin. And if you've said yes to sin, don't raise your hand right now. If you smile, maybe that was a yes. No, don't worry. Now, the point is this, that sin is still around. And we can say yes to it. But as the gospel takes shape in our lives and this new lifestyle is formed, we become more and more aware of the fact that sin doesn't reign in me anymore. And one day, this is the promise, one day we will be free from the presence of sin, the three Ps of sin. If you accept Jesus Christ in your life, you're free from the penalty of sin. If you grow in Christ, the power of sin becomes less and less in your life. And one day when we are removed from this earth, we will be free from the presence of sin. So that's what the gospel does for us. Lastly, we find that the gospel are two things. It's milk and meat. It's milk for us to get saved. It's the basic doctrine of salvation that we understand that, that Hebrews talks about in Hebrews chapter 5. And you can go read that where, where the author encourages us not just to stay at milk. Just can't drink milk for the rest of your life. But we get a transition into nyama. I mean, how many of you love nyama, the solid stuff? I mean, it's great. I love milk, by the way. I love cold milk. My favorite place to go to is a very good friend who has a dairy. I'm not going to expose him. But I walk into his office and there's an air conditioner going on and there's ice cold milk. <laughs> That's the best. I love milk. But you know when I go home at night and Samin cooks me dinner and she just puts milk out? I'm like, That's great, honey. That's lovely. Really love you lots. Thank you for the milk. Where's the rest? You know, it's like, Thank you very much. And if she brings out the broccoli, it's like, it's very nice. I love eating trees. That's great. Do you know what? Is there anything else? And she brings out the rice, and it's like, that's really great. I love the rice. You know, we can, you know, count them. That's great. And, and then when there's something more solid that comes, and I know that it's not always possible in these days to have those kind of solid stuff. But in our walk with God, it's always available. That the meat is what helps us being formed into His image. That's why this call to the gospel, for us to respond to the gospel, is to drink the milk, yes, but to start eating the meat. 
Amen. And it's taking hold of who He is and, and what He's done for us and, and live that on a daily basis and form my life according to who He is. That's the meaty stuff that makes you strong. Amen. And uh, for those of you that are vegetarians, why don't you just quickly pray this prayer with me? <laughs> no, don't worry. Uh, I love people. I love vegetarians. I love vegetables, but I love nyama. And uh, I love the nyama of the word. And so most Christians are clear about the gospel as the means of entering the Christian life. But thereafter, they're unsure about how to grow in the gospel by steadily applying it to their lives. And what we're doing at the moment as a, as a church is going over and over and pulling off the layer by layer and trying to dig deep into what the gospel is. And you would find that you would sit here perhaps Sunday by Sunday and hearing the word gospel and talking and hearing discussion about what the gospel is and trying to help us understand it better. Not so that our minds can be filled with information, but that the lifestyle can follow. A gospel-driven lifestyle. The result often can be that if we just stay at the one and not move into the other, we, we can be confused. We, we get saved, but the lifestyle of gospel influence is not there. So we have a lot of people that are saved. But in the church of Jesus Christ, I'm talking globally, there are many people that live saved. Many people are saved because they've said yes to Christ. The challenge for us is to live saved. And so our attempt as a church is to help one another with both. There always will be people, and this is part of our mission here on earth. And our mission as a church here in Bulawayo is to help people towards crossing that line of faith into becoming saved and being saved. But you know what? It doesn't stop there. And that's the sad thing often is that we have babies born spiritually, but we don't help them become men and women of God that affect this world in a radical way. And so our attempt is not just to get people saved, but praise the Lord for every time that happens because heavens rejoice when each person here on earth gets an understanding and responds to that revelation of who Jesus is and says yes to him. Our primary objective is to help people, help one another live saved in every sphere of life. I want you to live saved at your business. I want you to live saved at home by the way that you interact with your children and with your wife, your husband. The scripture teaches us through the gospel that we ought to live saved wherever we go. By the way that we interact with people. By the way that we love people. Where we serve one another. That we serve this community. That we serve. And why the, by the way, why do we talk about the Czech Republic? as a nation to go and visit. There's a long history to it that goes back to 
1994. But why we do these things is because God has called us to help people to salvation, but God has given us this mandate to make disciples of all nations to live saved. To live saved. In other words, we cannot just receive the gospel, but we must see the gospel increase in our lives and through us. I want to ask you this question, and many of you have walked the road with Jesus for a while. I want to compare it to falling in love for the first time with someone. Many of you are married. Remember the time when you fell in love, saw her or saw him for the first time, and, and those feelings started welling up in you. What has happened to those feelings? Has it grown? And that's much more in relation to our walk with God that we should ask the question, when you started with Jesus, whenever that was, what is the emotion like today? And I'm not just focusing on emotion at all. Just asking you, how has it progressed in your life? Or is it perhaps not growing? And are you losing something of the initial passion you had for Christ? Because salvation to you was a door, but you're no longer on the path as such. We have to ask each other these questions, friends. Asking, is Jesus increasing in your life? Not the head knowledge about Christ. And you can, you know, quote 10 more verses this year than last year. But are those things real in your life? Can people around you say that I can see Jesus increase in you? Not your knowledge about Jesus, but your lifestyle lived according to the gospel. I can see it increase. And best to ask the people closest to you that question. Is the gospel increasing in you? And last week we just showed you this, this grid, and, and I want to just go there quickly. Call it just simply the gospel grid. And, and by the way, there are many ways to try to explain the gospel and, and many ways to try to help one another understand the need for us to grow and have the gospel increase in our lives. And this is just simply one. And for those of you that have seen this before, praise the Lord, it's good to have it repeated. It's good to have it repeated. It's good to have it repeated. Unless you say amen, I'm going to keep on doing it. Hey, thank you. <laughs> anyway, so the gospel grid is this. We, we all start off and, and, and there's, we, we're born and over time we walk our lives. And, and, and those of you that have accepted Christ into your life, you come to the point of conversion in your life where the cross of Jesus makes sense and you understand what, what he has done for you and there's a, there's a decision that's made. And you decide for Christ. And so the, 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 the revelation of, of who Jesus is grips your heart and you say, yes, I want to follow him. And, and that's really the moment that happens in our lives. We want to talk about the rest because the moment is important, but the process is what awaits us. And so one, the next thing that happens is we, we are challenged with out of the the letter of Colossians, and by the way, there are many other things that I could have put up there to try to indicate this, this split that, that takes place at that moment where we say yes to Jesus. Uh, it's, there's just not enough space to add all of them. But really just wanted to use Colossians because there's a desire in us 
that the moment I start following Christ, I see a seed dropped in my heart that I, I want to become like my Savior. I don't want to be my Savior. I want to be like Him. I don't want to do stuff, but I want to become. And that's often also the, the, the tension is that we introduce people to the gospel and we say, now that you have to do. No, we should introduce them to what they should to become and not do. The doing out is, comes from who we are and our new identity. And so the split happens when we recognize that I need to grow towards becoming more like Him. Or I can just stay the same. And staying the same is, is just in, in Colossians, um, summarized by those verses. And, and you can go read those things that, that talks about staying the same. And you can at the same time read about what it means to become like Christ. The split that ought to happen can only grow wider through Christ becoming more. And that's the next um, slide becoming more important in our lives. The revelation of Jesus is necessary. That's the gospel increasing in us so that the divide between my will and His will becomes wider and I choose His, not mine. And so the cross is a moment, but the cross is a process. And as a church, we are committed to both, particularly to the process. And we want to encourage one another. That's why if I, I look at that, that garlic, where's one crease? I'll give it back to you. It's fine. Um, if, you, if you take the one clove, is it? It's the language. I've got to speak to the farmers. Out of this bulb, correct? You separate it, and as you rightly had put it, the thing cannot survive without being part of it. One of the things that help us towards Christ-likeness is to be among other believers, Christians, followers. You separate yourself from that. You're on your own. You're going to try and manage this lifestyle that you've chosen for. You want to go through the process, but the process is very difficult on your own. And that's why we do these moments. This is just a quick ad. That's why we do Starting Point, is to help people into a lifestyle of accountability, of family. That your moment on a Sunday where you come and you sit on your own. Thank you very much, Amanda. Um, that it's not just this moment that, that you build your Christian walk on, but it's the process of walking with others where we're accountable to others, where we say, I want to commit myself to the local church, where I can be held accountable, where I can learn from you and you from me, and together we can grow into Christ-likeness. But you separate yourself from that. You do not lose your salvation, but you do limit the, pot the possibility and the potential for Christ to become more in your life. And so the thing that often happens is we, the next slide is, we keep the cross and the influence of Christ in a certain level. We say, that's, I got saved, it's been a great moment, and that's where it'll stay in my life. I want to keep him there, because I kind of have heard, if you want to go deeper and go more, boy, it's going to be a sacrifice. And by the way, that's not a word that we despise here. 
sacrifices what our master, our king, our Lord did for us. And he calls us to a similar lifestyle. And so the moment I see that there's more needed, maybe I'll say, I'll just keep you to get me to heaven. And I'll shrink the cross and I will do two things. And there are many others that you can do. You can pretend that you're growing or you can perform towards growth. And we start living a, a hypocritical life. Because the gospel is kept small. I'm kept big. And so I want to be amongst you. I want to be a, uh, accepted by you. And I, I want to be identified as you are. And, and, and so I've got to try to make up for the cross not being big. Me being big. And so I try to pretend that all of these things are in place or I perform towards it. And that's a huge pressure. And eventually it cracks up. And, and I become disillusioned and discontent with the church because there's this pressure that, you know, I've got to live up to something that I've created for myself or I become disgusted with you because um, you're just always talking about Jesus and, and it's just too much for me and, and the sacrifices involved and the cost is just too huge and, and I'm like, time out! And, and people hurt me and, and people disappoint me and, and, and all these things happen and I'm like, no way, this is not comfortable! And I leave. And I run away. And people eventually try to run away from Christ because the cross was kept small. Folks, we, we cannot, there's no other option, and that's the last one, where the cross should be what it's supposed to be in our lives. And that's what we are trying to urge one another towards is a, and an understanding of what is this gospel and what has the gospel done for me and how do I apply these things? And how do I live it? Because if the gospel comes into my life and I truly live by the gospel, then every decision I made is based on what will glorify Him and not me. Hence, our desire to see the gospel increase in our lives. I just want to share with you a simple testimony. There's these two opposite stories. There's a guy called A.W. Mill, M-I-L-N-E. He lived somewhere in the 1800s. And he was an Englishman that um, decided that his life is not his own. And he moved into a country that today is called Vanuatu. It was called something else back then, the New Hebrides in the South Pacific. Today it's called Vanuatu. It's a very small island. Not many people on it, but he decided to go and reach them. And, and as in those days, they talked about the one-way missionaries where people that left on, on mission left with their coffin because they said, we'll never come back. And should we come back, we'll come back in a coffin. They were prepared to sacrifice. I mean, those days, you didn't have airplanes that fly up and down. They could quickly just go home. It was that serious that when you go, you go for good. And he lived there for something like 45 years, gave his life and reached the people. This is what they wrote on his tombstone. He was buried in Vanuatu eventually. They said of him, when he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. How's that, eh? This man came to give his life for the benefit of others. There's one who did that ultimately for us. That's why someone could do it back then. Because Jesus came 
there was just darkness. And he brought light. You know, some of the real life stories are people that some of you may know. They're friends of ours from south when we moved up here a couple of years ago and God led us to plant the church. Charles and Barbara Key. How many of you remember Charles and Barbara Key? They, they felt, no way, they want to be part of something like this. So they made a plan. Charles was about 70 years old already. And he said, no, I've got to make a plan. I want to move to Zimbabwe. And, 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 and eventually, by God's incredible uh, grace, they managed to come here and, and have a permit and live here and part of And he just said, whatever we can help with, we, we'd gladly help. And she helped with the books, and he helped with the building and all sorts of things. And they were just an incredible blessing. But they were two grandparents. But they, yet they came and they gave. Things developed in their lives so that they had to go back to South Africa about two years ago. And, and during that time, she was diagnosed with cancer, Barbara. And, and it was just at the right time that they were there in South Africa. So she could go for treatment and it has been successfully treated, praise the Lord. But they've never deferred from what they're passionate about. And that is to serve God's people. So I spoke to Charles this week. It was a very good conversation that we have because we just talked about the possibility of the church that they're involved in wanting to bring some food into Zimbabwe. And because Charles and I did it back in 2007, we did that from South. He was just asking, what do I think? And, and, and I just asked him, so where are you at the moment? And he said, no, no, it's Thursday morning. I'm, I'm at the church building. And every Thursday I come in and I, and I oversee the, the facility and I, I help with just some of the, the work that needs to be done in the gardens and all of that. And he's 76 or whatever now. And he says, oh, I'm waiting for Barbara because she's going to pick me up now when we go home. And, and, but she's going to bring all this, the music sheets because she prepares that every week for the worship team. And she puts it out and she prepares all the songs and puts them into these sheets and, and stuff. And I, just, I said, Charles, you guys just don't stop, eh? You guys just don't stop. No matter what age, no matter what situation, no matter what sickness, just, I have this passion for God. The gospel has changed our lives, and we're on this journey with the gospel. And we just want to let the gospel form us, shape us into what God wants us to look like. And so here we are for people, and that's not what he said, but that's what I see. The gospel ought to increase in our lives as Jesus becomes more real. Just close this morning by asking you a simple thing. Ask God to show you who Jesus is. And maybe you have done it many times before. But as you see who Jesus is, what He's done for you, your willingness to do anything for Him becomes more more possible and stronger and as a church God has called us to live not for ourselves but to live for him and that's the gospel of Jesus that a life lived beyond ourselves is what he calls us for so I want to close just asking you to pray with me we we're going to carry on on this journey of the gospel. And I make no excuses for it because I want to see it change my life. 
want to see that the gospel increases in my life so that the king can have his way be done and his will be done in my life more than ever before. So God, this morning, as a church, I want to admit that we need you. This world needs the gospel. This world needs salvation. But the world also needs to see the gospel penetrate hearts and powerfully change lives so that the world may see a real king through the life of its followers. And as a church this morning, God, I ask that you will help us.